Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories podcast. My name is Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am so excited for you to be here to join us today. The goal of this show is to amplify the stories of amazing people, which serve as inspiration for your journey. Your story matters. It tells us who you are and who you want to be. Enjoy this opportunity to hear from these innovative thought leaders as they discuss what it means to unlock unlimited potential. If you are looking for an opportunity to connect further with me after this show, please visit brandonbeckedu.com to learn more about my speaking, coaching, consulting, and other offerings that are designed to help you and your organization find greater results in your journey. Unlimited Potential Stories show. I am really excited to be here with you all today because today we have somebody who has worked at NASA. And that, first of all, really got me excited. And then on top of that, he's just an incredible educator. He's worked in pretty much every kind of role in education from teacher to administrator to curriculum specialist. Dr. Nathan Lang Rad. How you doing, sir? Brandon, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. There's a lot of buttons I'm realizing. There we go. Oh, there we go. We're good. A lot of buttons that I got to push here. So, <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. Yeah, we've been trying to go back and forth in the craziness of life and, you know, after your travels from ISTE and, and being able to follow your journey. And I know that you're a very busy person. So, and you just had a book that came out recently that we're going to jump into as well called Never Stop Asking. But before we do that, I, I'm just going to never stop asking all these questions I'm about to ask you. And I think that I ask this question to every single person on this show. And it's usually kind of where it all begins. And so for you is, you know, how did you get here? How did you get to this point where you are right now today, being out there serving in so many incredible ways? Yeah, certainly. Well, thank you for the question. And I didn't know I was always going to be an educator. I know many people have that story where they knew early on that they wanted to be a teacher. Mine came from um, an opportunity. I, in college, didn't, there wasn't a, a meteorology degree. I actually wanted to be a weatherman. So I thought, well, I will just get a bachelor's degree in something similar, and then I'll just transfer to another university and get my master's in meteorology. So I chose a chemistry education. Uh, is a degree that you can use to teach high school science. So after I graduated with that degree, I changed my mind and thought, you know, weather is a lot of fun. It can still remain a hobby, but I really do have this passion for helping students think critically, solve problems. I myself was a, a curious science person, had a, a love and uh, excitement for science. And so I became a science teacher. So that's kind of my entry into the world of education. And as uh, Brandon, you and I were chatting earlier, I did have the opportunity to work at NASA. And I didn't even know that teachers could work at NASA. I knew that they had a program where they could get astronauts. They, they called them back then educator astronauts. I actually, um, fun fact, I did 
actually apply to be an astronaut. I didn't tell you that earlier. Um, I didn't get chosen. I think I got to um, the round where they narrowed it down from 20,000 to 3,000. So I think I may have made that that round, <laughs> uh, but did not become an astronaut. Um, highly unlikely, but it was a great it was a great experience, but I did work at NASA for a few years in their education office. We created STEM programs when STEM was just entering the scene and we would work with astronauts and engineers and they would be on camera with us at NASA TV studios and we would be video casted into classrooms all across America and even um, on a global scale as well. So that was an amazing opportunity and uh, as you and I chatted earlier, I've been a elementary principal, a high school principal. I've also worked as a director of curriculum and instruction. I've been with a couple of uh, tech companies and a couple of curriculum companies. I also write books and I speak. So I uh, definitely, my, my mission is to help support teachers so they can support students with authentic learning experiences. And that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me excited. You use the word also a lot in your description, which I think <laughs> is pretty important to everybody. No, I, you you are a, uh, a man of all trades. You you play all positions on the field. I like that. That's uh, I think that's an important skill. You know, talk and, and you know, so, it sounds like you're someone who is um, always – on the go creatively and always evolving. And, and it's kind of led you to this point now where you've written a couple books. This isn't your first book. And you have worked with a lot of different educators. And the more educators you work with around the world, the more your, your mind opens and you keep kind of moving yourself into positions of leadership uh, back in education um, even looking at it on the side of curriculum companies, right? And, you know, there's sometimes that that facade or sometimes that that perception that curriculum companies are all out to, to do evil and, and, you know, they're all out to rip everybody off. And so you've been through all sides of it and you're still going, which I think is incredible. So congratulations on that and for continuing to be inspiring and be out there. So Talk a little bit about, you know, this work for you. You know, obviously you're, you want to support teachers and you're supporting teachers. And how does this book, Never Stop Asking, how does this kind of take all of your amazing experience and roll it into, you know, your vision for supporting educators? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't address something you shared earlier about you know, curriculum. And, and I have, I have, from working with schools, uh, when I was a director of curriculum and instruction, I saw the need for a, an effective, guaranteed, and viable curriculum and being able to support teachers in a way that provided some structure to help helped increase their effectiveness of instruction and also with assessment. So I believe a strong curriculum is a foundation for all effective classrooms. And the, the team I work with now, they are, we're all former educators, so we all very much believe in students. We very much believe in teachers. 
and we very much want to provide the best curriculum um, for them, whether it be teaching their students how to read or teaching them how to solve math problems or teaching them uh, how to um, debate with civics. Um, all the skills that they need to be successful citizens in the world. So that's something I very much believe in and um, very much um, support uh, the work that teachers are doing across the globe and, and feel like we have a hand in that. And then as far as my own writing and authorship, Never Stop Asking is my ninth book. I did write some books on coaching, instructional coaching, because of the work that I've done with, with curriculum and instruction. Uh, in Nashville, when I was there, we had over 140 instructional coaches we worked with in our district, and they were phenomenal in getting so many uh, priorities and initiatives accomplished. And we couldn't have done that work without the talented coaches there. And so I wrote a couple of coaching books. And in this last book, Never Stop Asking, that you mentioned, it really is about supporting critical thinking. And the reason I wrote that book is because you know, education, as we know, is so much more than just filling minds with, with knowledge and information. And unfortunately, our American education system was built on this kind of platform for scalability and productivity and, and producing a workforce. And so that, that was what it was built for, which was great for what we needed it to be a, you know, decades ago. But now we are in a, a new world with emerging technology, uh, a global economy it, that requires skills and it requires students to problem solve. And it requires them to uh, apply information to different scenarios. And so I believe that education really is about kindling that thirst for knowledge, that passion for understanding, uh, the ability to analyze questions and engage in the world in a thoughtful way. And that's really what Never Stop Asking is about, is helping teachers to help students ask those, those tough questions and also be able to justify their answers with evidence and uh, also realize the kinds of uh, biases and, and fallacies that exist um, in the human mind. And there's a lot of neuroscience involved. And so that's, that's in a nutshell, what never stop asking is about. Wow. That's uh, sounds all very valid, right? Here we are in this world where we're used to, you know, the old age of teaching was the teacher knew everything in front of you. And the teacher was always going to be giving you something that you probably didn't know. And now that's so, couldn't be more reversed than the fact that kids know so much more things than their teachers do. And those things can be utilized in our schools. And I think that that's so critical, number one, most importantly. And, you know, talk a little bit about how you organize this book a bit for yourself. You know, obviously never stop asking, you know, obviously providing tips. Talk a little bit about that structure for us. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Brandon. The first part of the book is dissecting and, and deconstructing what critical thinking actually means because there's a lot of definitions out there. You know, it's, it really became a popular word, especially when the four C's were 
starting to be uh, integrated into the classroom with creativity and communication, collaboration, and critical thinking was a part of those C's. And so I start the book out by defining what that is in my own personal experiences. And then we do land on a concise definition, pulling all the research together on what critical thinking is in terms of the classroom. And then we look at why it's difficult, why critical thinking is not a natural process. A lot of it is because of the cognitive bias that we have. We tend to, as humans, we tend to believe things that that confirm our existing beliefs. And so we may ignore any of those things that are contrary to our beliefs that keeps us very closed-minded many times. So it's really good to eliminate those implicit biases that we have. And it's also just part of how we've evolved as humans. We have these, uh, they're called heuristics. It's these brain shortcuts we have. Um, as we come across new situations in our, in our day-to-day lives, we find we are pattern-seeking individuals. We find patterns like, oh, this happened before, therefore I don't have to spend a lot of cognitive energy thinking of a, of a brand new solution here. I've done this before, so I do it. So many times that keeps us naturally into a status quo. Uh, so we don't like to consider lots of possibilities because it takes a lot of cognitive energy. Um, we also, like when we're watching the news and we hear about shark attacks or we hear about natural disasters, we tend to uh, start drawing a, a line around, you know, we draw circles around these these events and we start to, uh, again, we're, we're pattern-seeking mammals. And so this is something we do, we do uh, naturally. And so it's, we have to first kind of acknowledge those heuristics, although can be very helpful in a decision-making perspective day to day, it can keep us from thinking critically and really understanding the thought processes that, that should be happening. Uh, and sometimes we do need to pause and, and apply a high level of reasoning to a problem as opposed to uh, just jumping to a solution that we have an emotional connection to. And so um, that's, that's, a really important aspect of this book is recognition of those biases. Mean, I go through a list of all of the biases that we have and examples of all the, the traps and the shortcomings that we fall into, the misconceptions that we as teachers have and also our students have. And then how do we go about un- undoing that? Because again, it's very unnatural to have this kind of methodical logic and reasoning in the classroom. Yes, yes, yes. Our limitations, right? And I think you've been working with this work for quite some time now, and it's been a huge part of your life. And obviously, we've experienced many shifts in the education since the pandemic, and we are in a place we never thought we would be prior. So talking a little bit about the limitations that are out there that are stopping the critical thinking that you're noticing, experiencing, hearing about, learning about, et cetera. One has been with us for a, for a while. And then one that I'll mention has just emerged. The one that we've been really battling for a while has been just the, the good old Google search. Let's type in in Google, whatever the first result is copy and paste that um and not that that all students do that but that's something that it's again it's a shortcut it's easy to just google an answer and it doesn't really require us to 
evaluate our own assumptions. It doesn't require us to listen to our kind of um, look at past experiences or, or look at does this, uh, is it backed up with evidence? We just kind of take it at face value. Um, and now I even connected to that too has been for the past decade, definitely with social media, that kind of ad hominem where if somebody says something that you agree with then or that you like, then you're just going to take that belief as your own and say, okay, I'm going to be tribalistic here and I'm going to, to jump onto that idea. Um, not necessarily because of the idea itself, but because somebody that I respect and like has that idea. And that happens in uh, political circles a lot too. So that's something that we've, that those are, those have been limitations and barriers we've been battling for a while now. And teacher, you know, I always say with the new standards, with being able to justify with evidence, that's been something that's been embedded uh, as of the past decade, which has been some progress, but it hasn't been enough, unfortunately. Now, especially with the emergence of AI and chat GPT, then now we have even an easier way to bypass thinking. We can just type in a prompt and have chat GPT give us the answer, and then we can copy and paste it. And it makes it look like it's it could be our answer, and, and it's easier than ever just to take that information and to not think. So we have to approach the classroom differently now. And we do have to also, I, I want to say that we can't say, well, technology is is a is a barrier. It's it's we have to embrace it and say technology is a powerful tool. It can enhance learning. We can learn better, but we have to recognize the pitfalls of technology and especially when it comes to bypassing critical thinking. And then so in my book, it did come out before AI was um, emergent, but the strategies that I mentioned in the book are great strategies to combat AI because you have to do a lot of real-time assessment you have to do um, a lot of uh, reasoning and argumentative or collaborative argumentation, which is hard to do with AI. So the strategies that I provide are still ones that we can combat AI with. And it's really hard to use AI to cheat on something that requires reasoning and logic if done real time and kind of a, um, a debate scenario um, or uh, other protocols that I mentioned in the book. Yeah, that's a big one. The how that's changed the game, especially for educators and the idea of trust and the idea of what is what is actually thinking versus what is not critical thinking. You know, talk a little bit more about that. Some some kind of tips that you would give for teachers out there dealing with this AI kind of, you know, generation that's not going away. It's only going to get more and more and more. Yeah, a couple of, of tips and strategies. One is that we have to rethink and reframe how we facilitate instruction and how we assess in the classroom. And so homework is now going to be totally different. <laughs> you know, if homework can be done in a matter of seconds on AI, um, it's not going to be effective as practice. And so that's something we're going to have to build in is making sure that students have opportunities to practice real time in class. So um, restructuring any kind of independent practice to be 
uh, in class. Also, there's some tools out there. Uh, one that I mentioned in the book called Kialo, and Kialo is a is an argument mapping platform where there's a, a question or a thesis statement and students have to develop a list of pros and cons and it, it follows a decision tree and you can students can comment on each other's pro or con and there has to be evidence that's that's cited and so yes could that be done with ai yes it, it could be but it makes it more difficult and then students still have to understand the premise of the argument so they even would know what to type into a chat gpt situation i also think it's it's it can be effective just to put it out in the open and say yes ai is not being it's blocked here maybe at school but it's still you can access it at home and so i want you to go and i want you to write this paper but i i'm not interested necessarily in the output i'm interested in the kinds of prompts that you're using with the AI and, and how you're questioning and pushing back and how you're asking the, the AI to respond to various questions. So being upfront with that, and that's that's a good way to use AI. But some of the writing prompts, if, if teachers really need to assess specific skills, presentation, debates, some assessments will have to be done real time so teachers can get a really good idea and picture of how students are performing. Those are so valid, valid things, valid tips. We're giving you a lot of tips in this episode. This is a good one. I love it. Talking about how to combat those limitations of critical thinking, of diving into it, talking about the AI generation the the work that is making some people run for the hills and run thinking they can never do it the way that it was and we probably will never be able to continue to keep doing education the way it was so we need to keep advancing forward and and I love all that you're saying about that you've been having time to work with educators in different capacities now with this work and you've had times to to get out there and 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 work with developing these critical thinking opportunities what are you seeing the successes what are some of the things that you're seeing that's coming out of it that you're like yes they're doing some great things what are some things we need to celebrate in critical thinking absolutely one of the really impactful outcomes of critical thinking is this level of mutual understanding. Many times we think about critical thinking, we think about a maybe a, a debate where there has to be an opposition or someone has to win. And it's not about that. It's not about defeating an opponent or having a, a better idea. It's really more about the process of understanding how someone came to the, an idea. So it's making thinking much more visible and being able to understand what led from point A to point B in someone's thinking. And so that's that's a really big positive that's come out. Another one that's come out is just being able to explore different perspectives. That's, you know, with critical thinking, you have to be able to justify the path. And so a lot of backgrounds come into play, a lot of sometimes emotional components come into play. So I'm able to, and teachers are able to understand the multiple perspectives. Uh, and celebrate those in the process and, and be able to have a, a positive collective learning experience of embracing all those multiple perspectives. And then just the ability to 
identify misconceptions. There's, you know, especially you know, I was a science teacher and there were so many misconceptions around gravity and weather and, and space and all of these, these, these things that uh, just over time, if aren't uh, addressed, um, end up with large gaps in, in knowledge. And so being able to address misconceptions, but doing so in a way that values the student in the learning journey, because we're all not supposed to know everything um, in, in one experience. It's a process. We, we learn by making missteps and, and failing, and we learn by making mistakes and being able to say, I didn't know that. Let's, let's double click on this and discuss. Let's talk to me about your reasoning. Um, how did you arrive at that answer? Um, I've seen you know, teachers use protocols that allow students to talk about what they agree or disagree with. And I had one teacher share with me that she had a student. Now, one of the favorite phrases that the student likes to use is, what's your evidence for that? And it's so, it's so great to hear that students are now using that language. Like, what's your, what's your evidence for that? Um, not about how you feel. It's not about, um, you know, this, I believe this because so-and-so said it. It's what's your evidence and being able to understand what makes good evidence and what makes faulty evidence. And so um, it, it's, it's great to see these strides being made towards critical thinking. Absolutely. And it's something that we need so much more of in our schools and it's so much that our kids are so capable of when we sometimes let go of our control as a teacher and lead that kind of teacher mindset to that facilitator mindset. And, you know, for you to have this career that's gone through all of these different channels and still punching strong with passion through education, obviously there was probably someone along their way who uh, kind of unlocked your unlimited potential or someone that, you know, that you've met with or, or been in touch with. And I know there's many and we, we went back and forth and we debated about who it was going to be <laughs> and he wanted to dedicate it to everybody. He did. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to put that <laughs> out there. And I, and so I did, I did force him to pick somebody. I just want you to know that, but, but talk a little bit about your dedication, your unlocking unlimited potential dedication. Yeah, sure. It's hard whenever you're such a huge fan of education and especially of teachers, you, you do uh, want to choose the whole teaching profession, everyone who's a part of it. I would say if I had to choose one person, it would be my teacher down the hall next door to me, a co-teacher, if you will. Uh, we didn't teach in the same classroom. We had two separate classrooms. Miss Turner, she was the biology teacher. I was a chemistry teacher. We shared many of the same students. And she was just a phenomenal thought partner. She was able to share with me some strategies that she used for engaging students. I was able to share with her my experiences and strategies. And we just had a, a phenomenal collaborative working relationship. Um, became friends over time. We're still friends today. I get to keep up with all the great work that she's up to. She has been an international teacher. She's been overseas for years. And, and now she's headed back uh, to the States. And so it's been wonderful to see the impact she's made. And I would say, you know, Ms. Turner definitely was an inspiration to me. Shout out to Ms. Turner. Thank you for all that you do for continuing to unlock unlimited potential in all whom you serve. We appreciate you. You know, 
as we've been talking about the work that you're doing, what's up next for you? That's the question with all this amazing stuff. Where do you go next? I am a continual believer in lifelong learning. I'm always looking to grow and evolve. And, and I have a, a thirst for new knowledge constantly, uh, new strategies. How, how will emerging technologies impact education? How can we continue to grow education? So that's where I'll be. Um, on the, the edge of that conversation, hopefully pushing the envelope and, and pushing those uh, frontiers to new places. I love that. We need that. And we need many other people out there. And if you are out there and you are rallying our cry, we hope that you take this episode and share it with someone else that you'd like to have also rally with us because we are all on a mission here and we are all trying to be true in our purpose. And that is exactly what I'm seeing from you. Someone who's out there really living, you know, following his story, you know, clear about his why and also someone that is a clear purpose and living it out and continuing to do incredible work because there is a lot of incredible work that goes on that is probably going unnoticed because you can't always see everything that everybody does behind closed doors. But to write nine books is an incredible, uh, incredible thing. And, you know, to be able to continue to do this work is something that's awesome. So I appreciate you for taking out the time of your day to jump on here and to be able to share your story with us all. We have had an incredible episode and I know that people are going to benefit. So to the listeners, make sure if you're out there that you share this episode. Thank you, Brandon, for your kind words. And thank you for having me on. It's been a delight and a pleasure to be able to chat through some of these concepts with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the best place for our listeners to be able to contact you will be all in the show notes. And you can also check out all the incredible stuff that he's doing on his socials because he is up to date and he is constantly putting some great content out there and some inspiring stuff. So I'm excited that you are excited. I'm excited that you're having a great go with this book. And I'm excited with, I can't wait for book number 10. I'm just going to throw that out there. I like even numbers, but it's happening. It's, it's being written right now. Love it. Love it. <laughs> love it. So make sure if you're out there, throw this guy a follow. And if you have not signed up for the something for you newsletter from brandonbeckedu.com, what are you waiting for? I spend hours each week taking time to just provide some free tips and resources for you because that's what I call it, something for you. Go over to brandonbeckedu.com, sign up first and 15th of every month. It comes into your mailbox and then you get to share it with friends and we get to talk back and forth about your great ideas because I love to hear what you have to say about things as well. So get on over there and to everybody else, I want you to remember that the journey towards unlocking unlimited potential, it begins with you. And I hope that you will continue to live with passion and purpose in everything that you are. Have an amazing day, everybody.